Hello, and welcome to Agape Fellowship. Here, we read and study the Word of God verse by verse. We are now in Matthew chapter 3, reading about John the Baptist. We learn that John was referred to as Elijah, whose return was foretold in the scripture. John baptized by water. The significance of water baptism has been a subject of debate for ages. Let's listen and to know more about this person, who is the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Verse 4. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. So if you were to imagine this person, what would you imagine this person to be? Uh, would he be polished person or a rough wild guy? What do you think? What, what are your thoughts on this guy? Odd. <laughs> yeah, he's odd. He's, a, he's an oddball. Yeah. His personality and his ministry, John patterned himself after the bold Elijah, if you can believe that, who was fearless in calling Israel to repentance. Let's look at 2 Kings. Can you open your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 3 to 8. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no god in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah departed. And when the messengers returned to him, he said to them, why have you come up back? So they said to him, A man came up to meet us and said to us, Go, return to the king who sent you, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Then he said to them, What kind of a man was it who came up to meet you and told you these words. So they answered him, a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. So uh, was um, John modeling Elijah the women? Did he take that and says, oh, he's Elijah? No, he wasn't because he said, I'm not Elijah. It just so happened that they both wore those kinds of things. The, you know, the hairy, uh, clothing and a belt and and everything else and remember Elijah was a very passionate man he spoke boldly both Elijah and John had difficult ministries they were both called to confront life in its raw in the case of Elijah it was Ahab and Jezebel and the northern kingdom in the case of John obviously it was Herod and the paid-for priestly class. So they both had very tough ministries where theirs was a ministry uh, of really bringing down God's wrath upon these people. And so they were not very well-loved people. 
They were rough and tumble. Uh, they didn't live in palaces. Uh, they, they had a very rough ministry. It wasn't that John the Baptist was, John the Baptist was trying to be Elijah-like as a forerunner. Remember in uh, Malachi 4 or 5, he said he would, uh, that uh, he had mentioned about the forerunner. As if he had decided that, oh, I'm going to make my dress like Elijah and that would be my public image. No, that was not the reason why he did it. John knew the words spoken by his father, Zechariah, before he was born. And he was going to, that he was going to be in the power and spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to children. However, that didn't mean that he was going to model himself that way. It's just that the Holy Spirit caused him to had to dress like that, and he was a wild man, just like Elijah was. This is simply who John the Baptist was. And he was created that way for this particular purpose. So interesting that they modeled themselves similar to the dress and everything else. Verse 5, then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. John's ministry obviously was very successful one, as you can see, because all of Judea, Jerusalem and Judea and everyone they heard. So it wasn't a small little ministry out in the corner somewhere, but everybody heard this ministry, heard about this ministry, and they were convicted to the heart and they came and they, what did they do? They confessed their sins and they were baptized. There were many who recognized their sinfulness and that they, they needed to get ready for the Messiah. And they were willing to do something about it. Under the blessing of God, John's message of repentance and call to prepare for the Messiah bore much fruit. Josephus writes about John the Baptist even more than he writes about Jesus. The influence of John the Baptist, um, we can see even in Acts, and we'll look at that a little later, Acts 18.25 and in 19.3, you will see that John the Baptist's ministry was much more widespread than even Jesus' ministry at one point. That it had gone, it, would, it had gone beyond the boundaries of uh, Jerusalem and Judea itself. It was, um, and God blessed that ministry. And so what he came for, he accomplished. And what does it say? And they were baptized by him. Now, a, a couple of words about baptism. Baptism is a witness of an internal change. Baptism is not a ceremony that you just do as a rite of passage, um, but rather it is a, it, there is an aspect of a rite of passage. However, it is intended to convey that rite of passage to some others who were witnessing this. Baptism was practiced in the um, Jewish community uh, in the ceremonial immersion and uh, was a witness to a change of perhaps a status for example, I'll give you an example. For example, a, a leper is cleansed or a child completes a bar or bat mitzvah or a person graduates from the rabbinical school and is about to, be, uh, to become a rabbi or a person is um, passing a milestone 
a, a birthday milestone, 60, whatever, 70, 80, whatever, something, um, something very unique and um, something that they, something memorable. It was a, it was one of those, every time they did that, the way that they celebrated it um, was something, uh, what they call the baptism or a mikvah. They would do that. In the case, you can look through the Old Testament scriptures and you will see that there is, if you were a leper and you got cleansed, I mean, you were healed, you got to go and do a mikvah and so on. And many other such instances, you got to do a mikvah. Now that was one of the things that they did also Let's say you were joining, uh, you were a proselyte. In other words, you were a Gentile and now you're going to become a Jew. Uh, you are a, you're going to become a proselyte. In other words, you are going to convert to Judaism. In that case, also what you did was you did a mikvah or a baptism. And in doing that baptism, what you're doing is you're confessing. I confess that I'm far away from God and that I'm a Gentile, but now I need to come and get close to God. And so by immersion and coming out there, witnessing the fact that I've now become a Jew. So it is a witness of an internal change, some status change. So baptism is that internal change, a witness to the outside world that something has changed in me. And you saw that proselyte thing uh, about the confession and going. So that was consistent. We think that John the Baptist just created this thing called baptism. Couldn't be further from the truth. It's been in the scriptures, all through scriptures. You can read through the Old Testament and you will see that it's built into it. Now, there is another part to it, which is less emphasized, but extremely important, especially for the believer. Let's, before I say what it is, let's read Leviticus 16, 1 to 4. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die, for I will appear in a cloud above the mercy seat. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering, and of a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash, and with a linen turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore he shall wash his body in water and put them on. Notice that last portion. He shall wash his body in water and put them on. Baptism also has the other part which is less emphasized, but it's very important. When you're coming into service, when you're coming in, uh, in and making, as John, as uh, Rich mentioned, we um, getting married or the baptism, it's not only a witness of an inside, internal change, but you're also being given a role as a priest. There is an aspect to baptism where you're confirming that you are coming out, you have taken on that role as a priest. In Revelation, we are told that we shall be kings and priests unto our Lord 
in the millennial reign. When, you, when Peter talks about this, he says, you are the royal priesthood. Every believer, every believer is member of the royal priesthood. In the past, this particular portion, what uh, Naveen was reading was about, it was just about to start reading from the Day of Atonement, when the Day of Atonement and the chief priest was to go in once a year, he was to go in into the temple, into the Holy of Holies to offer offerings. But before he went in, he had to do his baptism, he had to do his mikvah to wash himself, cleanse himself, put on the garment and go in. And so in, in your baptism, you are also proclaiming that you are accepting that role. There is no role. There is nothing else other than that. That you are also being reminded that you are taken on that role. You have taken on that role. So it is not that um, you are baptized and now I can coast along all my, you know, I've checked off every box. Now I can coast along. No, you've been called into a responsibility of a royal priesthood. Which means that everyone that is a believer has a responsibility to Christ and to the church, to the world. You've become a witness. You've been recruited into his army, into his kingdom. To be a disciple maker, to do what the Lord wants you to do and whatever it is, to witness of him. So it is a preparatory a prep step towards entry into service for the Lord, making ready one's heart for the Messiah's arrival. For the believer today, new birth and baptism is only the start of a journey. In the dispensation of the prophets and the law, the role, the role was for the Levitical tribe. For example, what I'm trying to say is that, you know, the, the portion on the Day of Atonement, only the Levite was allowed to go in. However, after John and after Christ's resurrection, the role and the responsibility is to every believer, regardless of tribe, tongue, and nation. And this is in alignment with what I just mentioned, the royal priesthood. Let's read that portion. First Peter chapter 2, 7 to 10. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Amen. So notice, this is a responsibility that we have to take very seriously. That it is not only just a continuous of life and baptized and all of that, but there is the next step, which is you are now entering into service. It also talks with it confirms that from the Ephesians where you've been, there's been a work that's been preordained for you from the beginning of creation. So you have a work 
God has assigned a work for you before you were even born. And when you come to newness of life and you've received him, that job is given to you. And so you need to run with it. There is no place for a Christian who sits back and says, let someone else carry my workload. It is not a Disneyland trip where I sit and say hallelujahs and let somebody else do the job. And I've shared this before in, you know, in one of our studies that less than 0.5% of the church is active in some sort of discipleship making ministry. 0.5%, not half, <laughs> uh, 0.5. So um, it, it is a minuscule number, but we see on the other side, you know, <coughs> church is being full. But what about those that are called? Why, where are they? So it's important. And so I emphasize again, our ministry here is a discipleship making ministry. And my encouragement to you is every one of us must be involved in some ministry in some shape or form, serving the Lord with the tools, with the gifts that he's given you to do. Um, and you're accountable to him. Now, the question sometimes back to John, was he immersed, was he sprinkling or immersion? Uh, in this case, we see that he's being immersed and there's no sprinkling. But I understand in some cases when you cannot go into the water and you're old age or maybe you have some illness, I can understand such. But in this case, generally, it is considered to be uh, an immersion. Also, uh, let's read Romans 6, 3 to 7. It's also another aspect of what is this baptism? What exactly for a believer, what does the baptism mean? For John, it was a baptism of repentance. But for us, what is the baptism? What does it mean to us? Can someone read Romans 6, 3 to 7? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we had been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Amen. Thank you. Um, so here we have another portion regarding baptism. In our baptism, we are identifying with Christ that we are dying to sin and being raised to newness of life. It's an identification with Christ and his death and his resurrection. And that's what happens in the baptism for us as a believer. Now we're talking about John's, which is different. Uh, for us as believers, that is what uh, we are called to. John's baptism is a baptism of repentance and we'll come to that. And so note back to John, about the, back to the portion in Matthew. And how do they baptize? How, what do they do? They confess their sins. This was another important aspect and is a partner to the call in repentance. These Jewish people were very serious about getting right with God. And so they confess their sins 
and they were baptized. Elijah and John were similar, not only in appearance, but also in their calling and ministry. They both lived in the wilderness, and they could be mistaken for wild men, but both shook the establishment. John's message of confession and repentance is the key to a relationship with God. Baptism makes us God's children, his royal priesthood. The baptism of John prepares the believer for a new life in Jesus Christ. Do join us in for the next episode as we learn more about John and baptism. Be blessed.